I'm Margaret Brennan, and welcome to Facing Forward. This week, billionaire Ray Dalio, one of the most successful investors of all time, says the world order is undergoing a massive reboot. He believes America's open economy and markets, the things that have made the U.S. powerful, are now part of its undoing. Dalio argues capitalism itself needs to be reformed. When you have a bad economic situation and bad financial markets, and it hurts everyone, then naturally uh, the capitalists are held to blame. Like many billionaires, he thinks he has the formula and financing to fix it. Ahead, his thoughts on how to turn around an America that is deeply divided and in so much debt. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Welcome to Facing Forward. Ray Dalio, good to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. We spoke briefly before this podcast, and um, you told me your intention is to raise the alarm and have uh, a smart conversation about trying to provide solutions to some very, very big problems that you think are facing our country right now. I'm wondering, why do you think you have the formula to help fix it? For 50 years or so, I've been a global macro investor. And so I've seen the world and I've uh, studied history. And then you look I, for big picture trends. I look for the cause effect relationships. And then I uh, encountered starting about, oh, maybe five or six years ago, three things that happened that never happened in my lifetime before, but happened in the 1930s. And I think that they're at the heart of what's going on now, together with uh, the pandemic, which will be uh, um, something that'll come and hope that has come and hopefully go. Mm hmm. Well, we have all these kind of forces of change squeezing us right now. But if I look at the headlines right now, um, you know, America's top economists are saying there's a rosy outlook essentially for the year ahead because there is a prediction we could be back to near pre-pandemic job rates by the end of the year. They're predicting we're headed back towards growth. Why do you have a darker view? Well, um, that's one of the three factors. Um, of course, we're going to have a, a rebound. Um, so if you look one year ahead, it's very likely that because of all of the stimulation, which took the form of debt creation and money printing, and at the same time, it's likely that the COVID effects will recede and so there's going to be pent up demand. However, that 
doesn't deal with the issue of the amount of debt that was created and money that was created. And that has been particularly the Federal Reserve. And when you print money, it has consequences. And that's what you're talking about. All these extraordinary measures that have been taken during the pandemic in particular, all the you know, sort of loosening up money to try to keep the system functioning in the midst of this crisis that at the end of the day, someone's got to pay the bills. That's right. So when you say things like the 1930s and 1940s, people's minds go to really horrible, dark moments in world history. What do you mean when you say 30s and 40s? Well, as I say, there were three things. Um, there's There's a credit cycle. These cycles basically go on for a, you know, for a, about three generations or about a lifetime. 1945, we started a new world order, which was a new system and included a monetary system with the U.S. dollar at the heart of that. And over that period of time, um, creating debt and money, uh, creating debt is a stimulant, but it's a stimulant over the short run, but it's a depressant over the long run because when paying back has to come, it means that you it's a depressant. And when that is too depressing, it causes more printing of money. So that's the first element. You're, you're thinking Germany and rise of Hitler. Um, I don't think Germany's Weimar Republic because I don't think it goes to that degree, um, but it could go to the type of degree that you will see big inflation pressures. This happening at the same time as there are the second two forces, which is also like the 1930s, which is um, the widening and very large uh, wealth values and political gaps. And the third force is um, the rise of a great power to challenge the uh, existing great power and world order, the rise Mm -hmm. of China to challenge the United States and uh, the existing world order. Let's talk about what within the U.S. right now, some of the solutions. I mean, for for Democrats, um, you know, ending income inequality is kind of the holy grail. We hear a lot about it. You're concerned about it. President Biden argues this two trillion dollar package that just passed is going to help address it there. That 85 percent of Americans are going to receive cash, fourteen hundred dollar checks They'll get all sorts of tax credits um, if they are low-income households with kids. Are these kind of payouts the best use of taxpayer dollars to close that income gap? There is this income gap and the, and, and the loss of, my, of the American dream, and we see it. Um, I see the need for those kinds of things. The amount provided was about 5 to seven times the amount that would have been needed to compensate everybody for their income losses. So it was a much larger distribution of money uh, than uh, was actually needed to deal with COVID. But I see those other needs. And I think they're bigger than that, in fact. So those needs are there. And then that distribution took place in that way. The issue is, then where does the money come from and what are the consequences right. of that? Right. And so that's where things get messy politically in this country. Um, you have arguments for things like a wealth tax from progressives like Senator Elizabeth Warren. We have watched the wealth of the billionaire class in America increase 
by more than a trillion dollars over the last year. A two-cent wealth tax would just help level the playing field a little bit and create the kind of revenue that would let us make the investments in our children, investments in infrastructure, investments in a clean economy, investments in America's future. She's pointing to successful people like you as both the source and the solution to the problem. What do you think about that? Do you think that that is the best path towards um, leveling the playing field? I think there, there's a mixed picture. First, I think it's terrible to demonize anybody, uh, whether they're rich or poor or anything. The country, by and large, um, created this um, this environment of equal opportunity. And the, uh, people who come along and come up with ideas and make that inevitably earn a lot of money and become rich. And at the same time, I do agree that the excesses of that gap need to be addressed in an important way. So let's not demonize everybody. Um, I think the most important issue is to be bipartisan, to bring both sides together in a smart way. And I almost don't care what is done, just as long as the, the large population, the most people are benefiting from an economy that works well to produce sound finances and sound um, economic growth. I think that, um, however, that there is also a risk that if there's some actions taken, that it causes capital flight and it causes issues at a difficult time. The Treasury Secretary said on the mechanical level, the Biden administration's version of this wealth tax means a combination of a higher tax on corporations, on individuals, on capital gains, on dividend payments. Um, you know, the president says, oh, if you make $400,000 or below, you're free and clear. If you're above that, expect your taxes to go up. So are all of these things, no. how do you grade their version of the solution? I think the taxes need to go up and I think we need to divide it well. And I do think there's going to need to be, you're only going to at most cover half of the deficit if you're lucky with taxes. And that'll be a lot of taxes. And I think that that's necessary. The other half um, is probably going to have to be printed, but you have to be productive. So a lot of these moves in terms of that cannot be just wealth redistributive, but there are so many ways that we can use that money to be productive, such as in education. There's no better investment than in education. So I want to ask you about rising China, um, because you've highlighted that as, as one of these pressures on the U.S. right now. When do you think China is going to overtake the U.S. and become the most powerful economy in the world? Well, there are different types of power. There's uh, economic power, share of the world GDP. There's education power. There is military power. There's capital power and so on and so forth. Roughly speaking, if you take all of those, um, China has been accelerating its power and the United States has been losing relative to China so that the absolute levels between them um, is very narrow. So let's mm -hmm. say if you look at GDP, the size of their economies, for example, um, it, you start to measure, is should I measure it in 
purchasing power parity and anyway they're close they're very close if you look at the share of world trade uh who's exporting the most in, in world trade china is bigger if you look at some things it's smaller but it is growing at a faster pace and it's very impressive so that means what let we will we the, the rising force of china will overtake the united states well i when you know it's not like a precise uh level it goes yeah. uh you know $1 over and and all of a right. sudden they're over um it means that there's um a competition or like they call wars there is a trade war there is a technology war there is a capital war there is a geopolitical war in other words particularly in that region the area around china and there could be a military war or a cyber war the uh united states and china will be having their first meetings thursday and friday um under the biden administration and it by all accounts this is going to be tense when people talk about the power of china in the global marketplace it kind of became tangible for folks during the pandemic in terms of just what Chinese manufacturing meant for PPE. But you're looking beyond that. It's not just China being the world's Walmart and production space. China has heft that I think the average person doesn't necessarily um, have a concept of. Yeah, like I said, in all those areas. So if you take technology, we're we're excited about um artificial intelligence technology um quantum computing you know, all of these things in healthcare well outer space um all of those things china is up here and improving at a faster rate and you could look at that and say you know um that's certainly a um a threat however historically china has um internationally followed uh, Confucian tribute system, which means that they're not trying to conquer other places and so on, but they're trying right. to be all that they can be. Right. I think the issues are really uh, largely a domestic issue. Like there, there is only one way to deal with that, and that is to be as strong as we can be. So improve our education system, improve the circumstances, earn more than you spend, improve the balance sheets, do it the classic healthy way, be it, do it together. Well, those are the things um, our risks uh, in internationally are a function largely of how we manage ourselves. So President Biden talks about a foreign policy for the middle class. What do you think that actually means? I think that the words are not specific. I think the Biden administration um, is dealing uh, partially uh, on trade. One presumes that that has to do with trade. But if I go down the particulars, trade will take its course. And it's. It, 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 I think it's a it's probably a good slogan, but I, I don't know what it actually means. There are a couple of contentious issues, the most contentious issues. Um, and it really has to do with containment of China. Um, and that has to do with its globalization, its region, and it has to do with human rights. Taiwan, um, the one thing everybody agrees to on paper, but they actually don't um, necessarily agree on, in fact, is there's one China and Taiwan's part of China. And then uh, we're dealing with technology. I mean, technology at the end of the day 
is the most important factor for economics and military. And then as regards, you know, human rights issue, uh, the Uyghurs and, and what that means, for example, there's a big irre- irreconcilable difference because China, uh, the United States believes that it should affect that. And that's a big thing in the Biden administration. And at the same time, China believes it's a sovereignty issue that um, the United States shouldn't meddle in their internal affairs any more than China should meddle in the United States. Those are the real issues. And they could come down to capital flows issues. And that would be, um, there are signs that that could happen. And if that happens, it has a big global effect. Just to clarify, when you talk about technology, are you talking and thinking about all the cyber hacking that is being attributed to China right now? That's certainly part of the picture, uh, but it also is um, who will be superior in uh, artificial intelligence, uh, quantum computing, and other types of technology that will mean that if if you win that race, you kind of win the whole enchilada. Right. Well, we're going to have to take a real quick break here, but more to talk about on the other side of it. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. So, Ray, I remember when I was covering Wall Street um, post-financial crisis back in 2008, I remember the Occupy Wall Street protests walking through them on my way to the stock exchange. Then I remember watching the Tea Party movements kind of exploding on cable TV. We are These were populist outcries that you could draw lines from on a diagram to our current politics, right? There's there's threads that ran through it. What do you see taking shape now out of the current trauma that we are going through? Throughout history, um, when you have a bad economic situation and bad financial markets, and it hurts everyone, then naturally, uh, the capitalists are held to blame or uh, it's scapegoated or whatever. We have a tendency to blame each other or to fight. And there's a polarity. The, the left becomes more extreme than the right becomes more extreme. And you can't be in the middle mm-hmm. because if you're in the middle, history has shown us, you know, they say, hey, no, you have to decide one way or another, and then the antagonisms become greater. And that is what's happening today. Yeah, we, we talk about it in terms of partisanship, but that just polarity you're talking about is, it's everywhere. I mean, when you talk about solutions to some of this, though, in terms of the economic divide, President Biden, progressives like Senator Sanders have said the solution is rebuilding unions, for example. The backbone of this country are hardworking folks, middle-class folks, people who built the country. And I might add, I think unions built the middle class. 
And it's about creating opportunity and giving people a fair shot. That's really all and everything it's about. Well, I sure agree with him that um, it's about uh, uh, equal opportunity and giving people a fair shot. So no doubt about that. But the two things that we have to worry about the most is this. Everybody's got their way that they want to fight for something. Um, If the cause you're behind is more important than the system that resolves disagreements, uh, the system is in jeopardy. But when the president says something like that, unions, that is received as hyper-partisan. That is received as, you know, kind of stopping efforts at bipartisanship right now, just even this $2 trillion package that was pushed through. It's polling in a really popular way among the average person. But on Capitol Hill, it went through on a party line vote. And it's getting criticism from Republicans. I mean, what we're seeing in terms of solutions right now are not bipartisan. No kidding. <laughs> and so I, 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 you think it's why. getting even more dangerous that that what's happening right now in terms of people trying to make it better that they're making it worse? Yes, there are two irreconcilable perspectives, and they're becoming not only increasingly alienated, they're becoming increasingly violent. If you take, let's say, President Biden. He doesn't have support from moderate Republicans, and it's not clear what amount of support he has from more to the left Democrats. If he doesn't pass a wealth tax or he doesn't pass this or that, he's going to have problems within his own party. I mean, like, what do you do about this? I don't know. Like, uh, maybe a third party is required, but something has got to draw the increasingly antagonistic sides together to do smart things, right? In theory, but third parties are not viewed as viable. And even within both main parties right now, Democrats and Republicans, there's major divide. And yet they keep functioning under the same umbrella because this is just how our institutions have known (laughs) how to function in the past. There really isn't a viable third option. Well, that's um, that's what I'm saying. There isn't a viable third option. I think, like you say, um, you can break it up into three parts, right? You can break it up um, to the extreme, right? Um, the moderate uh, Republicans, the moderate Democrats, and then um, the more extreme left. And um, a Republican or a Democrat that's more moderate does, does not have a party or a place to be. And it wouldn't take many... Um, as I'm saying, many senators or many congressmen, there probably are no easy solutions. But I think we have to start to think about um, how, think about this problem. Because if you read history and, and you look at the nature of this piece, this is, this is dangerous, right? It is. I mean, you, January felt very dangerous after the siege of the Capitol. It was violent. All of what you're talking about really kind of came to a head. But at that time, you predicted America was on the brink of a terrible civil war. Do you still believe that? There has to be revolutionary change. It's unsustainable. There are issues that have to be resolved. How how do you spend the money? How do you pay for the money? How do you educate people? There are big issues. 
and they have to be resolved and they could either be resolved peacefully or they or history has shown sometimes they produce conflict that's called civil wars different types of revolution maybe a peaceful revolution such as that which occurred in the 1930s maybe that but in the 1930s many countries did not have peaceful revolutions in any case okay. what i'm trying to do i have a, uh, you know a principle which is if you worry you don't have to worry and if you don't worry you need to worry and that's because if you worry about this direction that we seem to be heading in, then you will do the things that prevent that from happening. And if you don't worry and you watch it continue on and it worsens, that's worrisome. Mm-hmm. Ray Dalio, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you, Margaret. It's been great to talk with you too. We're going to take a quick break. You can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Now an underreported story. It's called the shadow pandemic by the UN. Due to quarantines and school closures, those who monitor violence against women and children are warning that they are increasingly blind to what is happening behind closed doors. That has made the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act, also known as VAWA, even more vital in the view of many lawmakers. Here's House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. For nearly three decades, the Violence Against Women Act has been a transformative force for safety and security of American women. Since its passage, domestic violence rates have declined by nearly two-thirds in America. But we cannot be complacent. The law, which mandates funding of aid and services to victims and funding to prosecute crimes, hasn't been reauthorized in two years. This week, the House passed a new version. On this vote, the yeas are 244. The nays are 172. The bill is passed. But a provision meant to close the so-called boyfriend loophole may be one factor that could complicate winning Republican support in the Senate. It would prevent dating partners convicted of domestic violence or abuse from buying or owning guns. Republican Senator Joni Ernst, a victim of domestic abuse herself, is expected to offer a competing version. For many American families, regardless of their politics, the law is vital. Before the pandemic, the CDC estimated one in four women in the U.S. experienced some type of domestic violence during their lifetime. If you or someone you know are a victim of domestic abuse, you can learn more about resources online through the National Resource Center on Domestic Violence, or you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Thank you for listening to Facing Forward. New episodes are available every Friday. Join us each week as we make sense of our changing world together. I'm Margaret Brennan. You can also find me on your CBS Network broadcast station Sunday mornings on Face the Nation or on our digital network, CBSN, at 10.30 a.m., 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. Sundays or through our Paramount Plus app. 
Facing Forward is produced by Face the Nations and Shu, Richard Escobedo, and Kelsey Miklas. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platforms and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.